Welcome to Chicagoland Parenting Stories. I am your host, Lisa Zimmerman. Let's get started with today's parenting story. Welcome back to Chicagoland Parenting Stories. I am your host, Lisa Zimmerman. Today we are meeting with Susan Urbanski. Susan is the program manager at the Mother's Milk Bank of the Western Great Lakes. We are recording today on June 14th, and this is episode number three. Welcome, Susan. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Okay. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself and the your children? Yes. So I'm Susan and I have five kids. My oldest is Evan. He's 13. And then we've got Nathan, who's 11. Lillian is nine. Vivian is six. And Deglin is three. Wow. Busy, huh? Yes. Okay. <laughs> if you had to describe your parenting style, what would it be? So I think I've given this some thought and I think I would like my parenting to approach to be one of guidance and partnership. Um, I've gravitated a lot towards the ideas uh, in gentle parenting and attachment parenting, but the reality is it doesn't always work as the books say that it will. Um, So I'm just kind of going with the flow. Well, it's probably a little different for each child and we can get into that a little bit later. Yeah, exactly. Without disclosing your age, which generation are you a part of? Gen X. Okay. And how would you describe how you were parented? I would say that it was a rather strict upbringing. Um, you know, you're expected to get good grades and follow the rules and there might be a wooden spoon involved if you don't. Um, but, um, overall lots of love, but a little bit more strict than what I'm probably, uh, seeing for most parents these days. Okay. For those of all that don't understand what you do, how do you help new families at the milk bank? That is a great question. So this is what I'm passionate talking about. Um, At the Mother's Milk Bank of the Western Great Lakes, we provide donor milk for families throughout Illinois and Wisconsin. Most of the milk goes to hospital NICUs. So almost all of the NICUs now in Illinois and Wisconsin are using our milk, and that milk helps premature babies to prevent necrotizing enterocolitis, which is NEC, which is a really devastating intestinal illness that preemies contend with. Um, And we also now have a robust outpatient program. So there's so many reasons why moms are not able to provide their own milk or why families without moms might not be able to provide milk. We are here to make sure that every baby has access to the best nutrition possible. And for most babies, that means human milk. And when mom's own milk is not available for whatever reason, we're a really great second place. So I manage the outpatient program here at Milk Bank WGL. And I also manage our Poppy's Dream Bereavement Milk Donation Memorial Program. About 15% of our donors are moms who have lost their babies and choose to donate their milk in honor of their baby's legacy. So it's a really, really rewarding job. And I get to see families from all over Illinois and Wisconsin, every type of socioeconomic background, um, every type of family that you can imagine, I have the privilege of working with them. And so I feel like that's a really special thing to be able to do. You sound very lucky. What is the your favorite thing about the work that you do? My absolute favorite thing about the work that I do is watching babies that start really fragile, grow to be really healthy. Um, And that's just such a privilege. You know, I I deal with parents looking for donor milk in the very, very beginning stages of parenting and they're flustered and they haven't slept and they're confused and they're irritated. Um, And by the end of the time that I'm working with them in the outpatient program, they're just thrilled and they're celebrating milestones and these babies are doing so well. So to be able to watch this massive turnaround for these families is so fantastic. You have the opportunity to actually see these children go past the infancy stage and actually become, you know, 
young children, preschool children, school age children, usually through pictures. Um, they don't always make it to the milk bank in person. Um, but for example, one of our very first outpatient families, uh, their daughter, London, and I can say that because they've agreed to share their story. London is now seven years old and I'm still Facebook friends with that family so that I get to see her grow. And I knew about London and I got to see her pictures originally when she weighed one pound. Oh, wow. um, so it's a big difference watching her start her first hip hop dance class, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. Uh, what is your biggest challenge with the work you do though? So you would think that the biggest challenge would be the bereavement program and hearing those stories. But honestly, I love working with my bereaved families because I do get the chance to, to listen to them and talk to them. The biggest challenge is actually the event of a milk shortage um, when there's not enough milk or which was the case last year when there's not enough bottles. We actually had a, a bottle shortage that we were dealing with with the supply chain crisis. Um, so the biggest challenge is having to fall back on our prioritization guidelines and you know, make the really, really hard decisions that some families may not have access to milk during milk donation shortage times. When you were a new parent or at one of the points when you had your children, um, did you have experience with milk banking or how did you get into this line of work? Oh, that's a that's a great question. No, I got into this line of work because I struggled as a new mom. Um, I had a big baby. My first baby was nine pounds, 12 ounces, born by C-section. And this was 13 years ago. There was no such thing as donor milk in Illinois at the time. And so the hospital gave uh, his dad a two ounce bottle of formula and said, feed this to your baby. And we said, well, she's planning on breastfeeding. They said, it doesn't matter. He might have low blood, blood sugar. So you really need to feed this two ounces of formula to your baby right now, uh, or you're starving him. So it was a really rocky start to the breastfeeding relationship for obvious reasons. Um, and I struggled big time when my second came around. I actually, right after my second was born, started working at a lactation center and that's when I learned about this nonprofit developing milk bank that was hopefully going to someday open in Illinois. And so I started paying attention. I started, you know, attending fundraisers and volunteering. And the more I got to know about nonprofit milk banking, the more passionate I became, the more I realized that this could have helped me with my first when he was born. And that I felt like every family should have that option if it's available. So basically, I got into this line of work because I struggled and I didn't have the option of donor milk. Um, by my third daughter, I was actually able to become a donor. Um, so I've I've been on both sides. I've I've been on the low supply side. Um, I'll never say I had an oversupply, but I I worked really hard to become a donor with my third. That's impressive. Uh, did you always want to be a parent? Yes, hands down. Yes, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. And what age of your child do you think that you really start parenting? Day one. I feel like you start parenting day one. I think it changes over the course of time. You know, I felt like I could really start having conversations with my kids when they were about seven. Um, I feel like that's a turning point from little kid to big kid, so to speak, in my mm -hmm. experience. So therefore, like a little bit more of the rationing and rationality and empathy and those types of things being it able gets to a be little, It gets a little in. more complicated. Um, it's It's less about, you know, this is how you function as a human and more about, well, why, you know? Right. Uh, did you have to parent your children differently or do you have to currently? And if so, how? 
Yes. All of my kids are different. Every time I feel like I've got something maybe sort of figured out, they throw me for a loop. Um, (laughs) So what worked for one does not necessarily work for the others. Um, And so it's just this constant game of trying to figure out, okay, so how does this one respond? And how am I going to make this work for this particular child? Sounds a little like whack-a-mole or something like that. Oh, yeah. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Did the pandemic change anything about how you had to parent? Oh, boy. Um, So my youngest was born March 10th of 2020. So he was a COVID baby. When we went into the hospital, the world was pretty normal. And by the time we were leaving the hospital, my sister was telling me I should take home the toilet paper. And it just, it was bizarre. And I'm like, no, I'm not stealing the toilet paper from the hospital. But in hindsight, maybe I should have. (laughs) Even Um, though it's uncomfortable, it would have been good to have it. Right. It would have been better than no toilet paper. Um, So it, it made for a very interesting time for us because, you know, the idea of having a newborn at home, being on a little bit of a maternity leave, but then also having to homeschool all the older kids at that time, you know, there would be days when me and my three oldest kids were all sat around the kitchen table, all on our Zoom meetings, um, trying to function. And I would be trying to work. I would have one kid in music class playing the recorder, another kid in gym class doing jumping jacks, another kid trying to be in math class and concentrate. Um, We don't have a huge house, so it's not like I could send them all to different bedrooms. Um, So yes, it changed in the way that we were sort of forced to be right on top of each other all the time. And we had to learn how to deal with that. Yes. In the long run, maybe that's a good thing. I guess it's a life skill to be able to work together and not kill each other. So, oh, for sure. Because you might work in a very crowded place like you do now, where it's like people are on top of each other and you're having conversations on top of each other. And even like your internet is going in in and out a little bit sometimes. And I know it's because the milk bank is a bustling place and everybody's online all the time uh, doing things. So it is really tricky in that sense. Um, Did you find that? emotionally your children came out of it okay I think that varies by kid um I will say it was difficult particularly for one of my kids I don't want right. to single them out right now um but but we're working on it we're working with some anxiety issues and and really trying to navigate how to get back into the idea of being out and about and going places and doing things and maybe being home alone at times and um so there's an adjustment for sure. And it's mm-hmm. but it's hard to know. Would would it have been any different for this particular child without COVID? We'll never know. Um Right. So it's I know again, it, just, and it's such a long time that it's like it wasn't just a hiccup. It was a big splice oh, in no. their life. Yeah. It's, and so it's, really, it's really hard part. to say like, well, what would have happened, you know, otherwise. Um, but I always just think that like I'm just so curious with this generation of kids that were in school, whether it was elementary school, high school, college, and like the idea that they no longer need a physical space to do things like school. Like to me, I can't imagine going to school without the physical space, you know, but like, so I'm curious to see like what that does for them. I hope it's super liberating and not actually more isolating because then nobody needs the space anymore and you do come together. I think that's actually a little bit of what we're seeing even in the workplace is that you know, there was this idea that remote work would be such a wonderful change of pace and so awesome for everybody. And I think, you know, based on a lot of the people that I've spoken to, remote work has its, you know, its benefits for sure, but it also has its challenges and it can feel very isolating. 
Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's good to somehow find the balance of maybe we don't need to be all in person all the time everywhere we go, but there is a lot of benefit to still being in person for certain things, at least sometimes. Yeah, I feel like these days it's very rare I have anybody who that is returning to work that either stays home all the time or goes in all the time. It's like almost everybody is hybrid. But, you know, from a childcare perspective, that sounds like that would be easier, but actually a lot of them are expecting that they're actually going to stay home and work that day and be the childcare. And that I just think is going to be extremely stressful because you can't really do either one of them well. So either way, you just feel like you're going to, you're going to feel like a failure either way, even though you may be making it through the day, you know, it's going to make it really hard. But at the same time, there is the financial aspect where if that makes life a little bit easier, because you don't have to pay for full-time daycare, which is outrageously expensive, Mm -hmm. um, then you don't have to worry about that. Okay. So I can, hit- I can say confidently, there is no way I could work at home and be my own full-time childcare. It's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I wish, I wish I could, but especially in like the toddler years, no way, not a chance. Well, and that's the thing is that I think like, it sounds good on paper, but you don't really know until your child starts to move and then they're mm-hmm. moving and then you realize, oh my goodness, I'm running after this kid all the time or they're tripping over cords or they're, you know, it's just, I can't even get through a meeting. I mean, even to be able to do a podcast, I have to lock my dog up in a room with the treat and, you know, with the radio on, you know what I mean? So it's like, I can yeah. imagine it actually being a child. Well, and it's socially acceptable to lock your dog up in a room. You're really not supposed to lock <laughs> your kids up in a room with a treat. Yeah. So. They, they truly frown on that. We're not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> No, no. Times have changed. (laughs) Okay. So we've hit the lightning round of questions um, and I'm going to ask you a slightly different. So if the teether falls on the floor in your house, do you pick it up and wipe it off? Do you wash it off or do you throw it away? I pick it up. I look at it. If there's anything noticeably physical on it, like cat hair, I probably wipe it off. Otherwise I might rinse it off. Um, But it definitely goes right back to that kid. Okay. What is your most embarrassing parenting moment? Okay, so I've got two potentially. Um, The first one actually kind of flows right along with the teether idea. When my third was five months old, um, I put her on the blanket. She was doing her tummy time. I went into the other room to stir the soup. And I think like maybe grandma or somebody was in the other room with her, but like not someone who could necessarily get down on the floor with her. Uh, And I came back and she had moved herself off of the blanket and was licking the floor. Um, So that was fun. So I realized at that point, yeah, what's the point of, you know, washing the teether if she's licking the floor anyway? Uh, The other thing with having a big family, with having five kids, when I go to the grocery store, every single time someone's eyeballing me about how much I'm buying. And I have to explain, I'm like, I have five kids. I'm not hoarding the Trader Joe's orange chicken. Like it literally takes four frozen bags of Trader Joe's own, you know, orange chicken to feed my family. This is one meal without leftovers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, this is the bare minimum that it takes to feed my kids. So no, I promise I'm not hoarding groceries. Right. Um, I'm actually feeding them to my children. You have a couple of adults. One of them's the size of an adult. Another one, one or two are on the verge of being the size of an adult and the little ones are eating food. So it's not like I even have one that's like, oh, it's an infant. I don't have to worry about feeding them. It's seven people. It's seven actual people and everything they say about teenage boys and their appetite is true. I'm doomed. It's it's very like, I don't know how I'm going to survive these years. 
Okay. I guess they're going to have to uh, make bigger portions at uh, Trader Joe's for you or something. It would be helpful. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, if you have friendships when your children were babies, especially the older ones, how important are those friendships to you now? And do you still keep in touch? So when my kids were babies, I was the first of my friend group to start having kids. Um, so it used to be all about those friends, right? Now I have some very, very close friends. I even have like, you know, my girls that I have matching tattoos with. Um, they're still incredibly important friendships, but the reality is we don't see each other as often. I would say we're lucky to see each other once a year. Um, you know, there's issues of people moving, you know, mm -hmm. two of my closest friends moved out of state, you know, they're still my closest friends, but I just don't see them as often. And the reality is even if they did live here, I probably still wouldn't see them that often. So while the friendships are still really, you know, really important to me and I still value those friendships, they're currently sort of in this like back burner phase where hopefully once the kids are all a little bit older, we can all start spending time together more as adults again. Right. And travel together or something. Yes. Oh, yeah. We talk about that. We, we, we've we actually had friend Zoom meetings, um, which is sad. But, you know, during COVID, what else are you going to do? Um, but we've talked about that. Like, wouldn't it be great to plan just like a girl's trip, an adult's trip and do something just for ourselves? I think that that sounds like a great idea. When your kids were babies, how important were these friendships to you? They were still super important, but it was like, I kind of didn't have anyone to talk to about the actual parenting things. Because like I said, I was the first of my crew to really start having babies. So I was, mm -hmm. I was winging it. Um, so what did it feel like when you can actually give them advice then? I still felt a little bit like a, you know, like maybe there was some imposter syndrome there. Like, well, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing, but this is my experience. So, mm -hmm. okay. What do you see as the biggest trend in parenting right now? I think the the biggest trend that I see that is possibly detrimental is the reliance on apps. And I don't even mean like for the kids, that's a whole separate issue. I mean, for the parents, parents are using apps to track feeding and track diapers and track everything and look at milestones. I think it's easy to become obsessed with things like the wonder weeks or, or whatever we think our baby should be doing at any given time. But I think we need to put the apps down and just focus on our kids. So we don't need to look at the clock. We need to look at the baby. We talk about that in the lactation world all the time. Mm -hmm. We need to look at feeding cues and, and how to be responsive to those without looking at the app to say, well, when did I last feed my baby? The reality is it doesn't really matter when you last fed your baby. If they're showing signs, just feed your baby, you know? <laughs> It's, and I think that there's this idea that technology is here to help us. And it does in some ways. Hi, we're on podcast, right? Um, but I think too often it's easy to fall into this trap of this is how it should be, or this is how other parents are doing it, or this is what the chart says I should be doing instead of just kind of watching your child and, and getting to know them and what they need. I agree. I see both sides of it. I see the side where someone says, well, they're feeding for 16 minutes on each side. And I'm like, well, but that doesn't really equate to what they're transferring. So that doesn't really tell me anything. But the other side of it is, and speaking of the Wonder Weeks, is I actually recommend that app to people because I think it would have made me a different parent because like, I wouldn't have been thinking, like if I would have been able to see a calendar and I know that my child's going to go through like a stormy week and they're just clingy and fussy. I know it's not my fault. It's not what I ate. It's not my milk. Because when you are a new parent, you just second guess yourself so much. And it's like a confidence thing. And so I feel like for that reason, it's really a good thing. But I can see what you're saying too, is that the reliance on it 
you know, like if I have somebody who has a six month old and they're still tracking everything and I'm just like, okay, well, if, if you want data for the sake of data, that's fine. But if this is like stressing you out or if it's adding a stressor to your life because you didn't yeah. track something and you don't know, then maybe it's time not to use the app anymore. Yeah. Um, but- and I see your perspective too about knowing what is normal in the, in the stages of development, but where it concerns me is what if your baby doesn't fall into the, the norm? Right. Mm-hmm. What if they're a little bit outside? What if they do something a little bit later than it says that they're supposed to? Are you going to get stressed out and then feel like you have to call early intervention and do something about it um, right away? Which sometimes maybe you do need to, but I would say for the most part, I don't know. I, I see people getting really stressed out about, well, the the sleep regression isn't supposed to start for another three days, and my baby is fussy today. <laughs> like, oh you know, right, that that's okay. You know, it's. Right. It's like the minutia versus like the broad yeah, strokes. Exactly. Right? So yeah. like the broad think, strokes are helpful, but the minutia is what can really trip you up, especially when you exactly. just don't know what you're doing. And right. I agree with that. And I haven't really thought about it from the perspective of like the milestones piece and whether or not, and it's interesting because I don't have any special needs children. So it would be interesting to talk to somebody who did to see like, would that have been helpful to you to, to know that earlier or did, do you feel like as soon as you learned that about your child, it changed your parenting in some way? And maybe you could just enjoy the baby in a different way, even if maybe. down the I don't road, know. Yeah, that's a great question. Issue. Maybe you'll find a guest that can help I answer know. that. I know. Yeah. I'm kind of like, hmm, who do I know? Yeah. If anybody's out there, please contact me. Okay. So we got a couple of final questions. Um, what have your children taught you the most about being a parent? The thing that they have taught me the most is that I really need to be able to put aside my expectations and let them take the lead and show me who they are and what they want to do um, and and let their personalities grow in that way. So I think I said it earlier, just when you think you have it all figured out, something is going to happen and they're going to show you that it's changing. Um, I completely oldest, agree with that. Just graduated eighth grade, which just is mind blowing to me because now I have this idea of what time looks like in the world of parenting in this, this whole idea that he's going to high school, high school is only four years. And then he's technically an adult. Mm-hmm. Come on. No, no, my baby cannot be an adult in four years. That's insane. So <laughs> yes, yes. It's it's very bittersweet. Like I always, yeah. you know, I always make a joke, like, I mean, what kind of job is this? Like you fall in love with them more every day and they're literally moving away from you more every single day. Like who designed this job? This is terrible. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm so proud of all of them. And they're all doing such a fantastic job. And I love seeing who they're becoming as they grow. And it's wonderful, but it's just so short. Like, that's the old cliche, right? Like, the days are long, the nights are long, but Mm -hmm. the years are short. The years Mm -hmm. are so, so short. I know. And people say, just enjoy it because it goes so fast. But it is like hour to hour. It's sometimes it's just grueling, you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just being able to take the time. And I find the birthdays are, I'm a mess every single birthday still. My son's 11. And it's like, it's so bittersweet because I'm never going to have the 10 year old again. And there were Mm -hmm. all these amazing things about the 10 year old, but yet I'm looking forward to the things about the 11 year old. But it's like, but I also feel like, like he's starting sixth grade. And so I feel like we're at the top of the mountain. We're halfway through public school. And I'm, you know, it's the same thing. Like, oh my gosh, how did this happen? And I can just imagine him being panicked by the time he's going to be starting high school at this countdown of, you know, I had friends, 
um, I have friends who they had made a list of like all the family vacations that they wanted to make sure that they took because they only really oh, got wow. 10 good years. And this is where I'm at where sometimes I'm like, but wait, what if we go here? But then we're not going to go here. Can we afford to do this? Like, what do we really want to do? It, like when they graduate, they're never going to travel with you again. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Hopefully they will. But it, it'll be a lot harder to make yeah. it happen, you know? So like, how do you make sure that you do the things you want to do in this time that seems so short, but at least you can look forward to vacations? Right. I mean, I guess the the big difference with having a lot of kids, because um, we have two totally different perspectives, right? Like mm-hmm. you've got one, I've got five different worlds. Um, I I don't have time to melt down at every birthday because I have so many. Of them. It's like, Literally every other it's month, birthday has a birthday. It's like, right. okay, whatever. It's another birthday. So that's why I think this eighth grade graduation is hitting me kind of hard is because it's the first really major, like, oh, you have a little bit of facial hair now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're six yeah. foot three. You tower over me. You're going to the gym to bulk up. Like, these are adult things. Um, So it's, it's seeming really, really daunting. But I also still have a three-year-old at home that snuggles. So, oh, so you, you still know, get your I've, snuggles. I've kind of got the, yeah, I've, I've still got the snuggles going and it's nice to have that side of it still. So I promise you when my youngest starts going through all this stuff, I will be a disaster. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Or maybe then I'll be like, relieved by then. I don't know. Well, um, because you would have been parenting for so long at that point. Who knows? Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. What is your biggest piece of parenting advice to share with new parents? Go with the flow and follow your instincts. Okay. I mean, it's, it's really different for every single child. It's different for every single family. Um, circumstances change in families. So just be prepared to change your plans. That's a great piece of advice. Well, thank you so much. We are out of time. So thank you, Susan Urbanski of the Mother's Milk Bank of the Western Great Lakes for joining us and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Lisa. See ya.